Welcome to Improsophy, where we bring living room discussions to your daily life. This week, we are currently discussing Eros in the book The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis. We're your hosts, Jordan and Corey. Enjoy! for the romance yeah. <laughs> um sorry my mind was very distracted so the the one about sex i'm just gonna say it all right he said it he has broken new territory um yeah now of course the the whole thing about sex and purity culture but the, the, that's not the whole thing we're gonna that's not a whole topic we're gonna dive into that's a whole nother issue in and of itself where one side says one thing another side says another one side's being idiotic and the other side's being way too strict is a good way of putting it but yeah yeah so c.s lewis what, yeah, so, what does he think about I, this as, topic that touches every one of us as you can tell i have some strong opinions i i i'm very strongly opinionated about things but at the same time i don't think i come off as like a dictator when it comes to it well anyways c.s lewis as you were mentioning yes it's kind of interesting i'm also reading rob bell's um it's a book called sex god Mm -hmm. it's trying to relate sexuality to spirituality Mm -hmm. so i'm like reading that the same time i read the chapter on on eros which is the greek word for um what's the greek word for i think passion passion passionate love okay um yeah, start us off. Yeah. All right. So I actually I actually did take notes because I figured taking notes is actually a good thing now. But I, I do them in my own way. Nothing really super structured. Maybe as I do it more, it'll be more a better structure. I can find the page. Uh, starting off. So middle of the first paragraph in page 120. Okay, yeah. Um, The note that I wrote was Eros is something that can take over one as if they're being conquered. Have you experienced this? No. Well, it (laughs) it depends on the type of Eros. So I made a note later on as uh, it's only awkward if you make it awkward. Mm -hmm. It's like trying, it's like, hey, as long as you don't make eye contact, you're fine. But with this whole thing, the way I understand Eros is the way, at least in the way C.S. Lewis was putting it, sexual desire does not always equal Eros, but Mm -hmm. Eros does include sexual desire. Actually, starting off with just a broad overview from what I understood, I liked, at least in the way I understood it, the way C.S. Lewis was putting eros and sexual desire, sexual desire in and of itself is just desire without love. While eros is sexual desire with love and having a proper eros is fulfilling that desire properly. Yeah. Um, Yeah. um, Yeah. Sexual desire without eros is like any other desire. Sexual desire with eros, um, becomes about the beloved mm-hmm. uh just paraphrasing him but yeah like sexual desire without eros it's just like being hungry it's just a a base instinct like want mm-hmm. um but when when properly integrated uh it's it's really concerned about the beloved <laughs> yeah yeah because i noticed um this is a personal matter for me, but I, I don't mind talking about it. My last relationship, I don't think my my ex really understood that. It's just more of sex as pleasure rather than trying to have it as intimacy. Mm. I wanted the intimacy part, but, well, I, I'm not going to go too much into who she was, how she processed everything and whatnot. But hers was, well, we'll, we'll just get this done and over with, like I said, she had her own personal stuff but i was like well 
I want to enjoy this. I like a lot of the foreplay and all this, but she was so focused on other things. Being vague for a reason, because I don't want to get too much into the topic, because I don't want to get too far off um, from the topic. But relating that to this, it's, let's say, let's say you get married or I get married in, sometime in the future. Uh, don't don't come to your wife as if though she's somebody who's trying to just simply gratify you. Rather, have a mutual understanding of, I wish to gratify her, and in return, her gratify me. That, I think, is a good understanding of Eros, of a proper sexual desire. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely a touchy subject. Uh... As you can tell, I have no qualms with talking about it. <laughs> I know within the Christian community, some people are like, oh, you know, we, we don't really talk too much about it. We kind of do, but we kind of don't. Me, I'm, I'm, I'm all up front with, yeah, let, let's talk about this sort of thing. Let's parse out these issues. Yeah, I assume it's more, um, it's a lot more meaningful if you're making those choices to become one with someone who's like a friend basically mm -hmm. uh, that there's that, that the love is like multi-layered mm -hmm. yeah I, I think there's something really about that of of knowing them like knowing them knowing them in like the yeah. hebrew sense mm -hmm. yeah i think a good connection well i thinking about it now i should have read song of songs or Song of Solomon, because that's the romantic nature of it. And could have read um, Book of Ruth. Ruth would have also been a good tie-in to this with proper mutual love and understanding between uh, Boaz and Ruth and the way they went about things. It's kind of almost like a ancient form of courting for them, but um, it's... Didn't Ruth just, like, like sleep at... Obadiah is like at the bottom of his bed um, and then he took her and then he's like oh shoot I'm Jewish I don't know I need it's, to take her as a it, wife it's, it's been a while it's been <laughs> okay it's been a while I'd have to look at it and apparently there's some um, sexual innuendos in the story that they meant back then I don't know sometimes modern scholarship I, I don't know if I trust some of the things some modern scholars say because some of them, ah, well, that's neither here nor there right now. But he, I thought it was like he did the right thing. It's like, oh, I've slept with this person. Maybe. Now there's like this attachment and I take her under my wing. Yeah, maybe. In a patriarchal society. Maybe. I don't know. Like I said, I'd, I'd have to go back and read it again just as a refresher. But um, I think best way to do it is, and I think here's... Here's a note that I made. Uh, sexual desire without Eros. Want it. Yeah. Want it. The thing itself. Eros wants the beloved. Uh, the way it's. The way C.S. Lewis kind of wrote that out. Seems to be a little disconnected in the sentence. <laughs> it, it seems like. Oh, I am over here. Yes. This is me right here now. It's like it's like all those AI stories. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I I wrote it down. Let me see. Page one twenty one. Oh, well, I'm trying to find the, the context. Oh well, let me see if I can put it in a modern English. So sexual desire, without as we were mentioning before, without eros, uh, the thing in of itself, the sexual desire. Um, it is something that wants somebody not for their own sake. Let, let me try to simplify that a little bit more. So it's basically sexual desire without sexual desire without the consideration of somebody else. Sexual desire for its own sake is not proper eros. I think that's the point of uh, what C.S. Lewis was getting here. And I made a note on that saying, it, it sounds like greed. 
it's it's like combining lust with greed um yeah in rob bell's book sex god which i'm reading at the same time there's this chapter oh gosh what's it called i don't remember the chapter name but basically he views um the instinct of sex as a as an instinct uh searching for connection Mm. and that that connection is like the universal thing that people seek that they're all um, seeking connection with others, which he then relates to the Trinitarian uh, uh, Godhead. Mm-hmm. So he views like connection as, as like the goal. Mm-hmm. And he would say, yeah, prostitution, it doesn't actually lead to human connection. Like it's not actually filling up this this thing that the instinct is aimed for mm-hmm. therefore it's it's falling short of a a perfect sexual ethic so I, it, it seems like rob bell's agreeing with lewis and mm-hmm. kind of parallel words hmm. i'd have to read the book it sounds interesting but yeah it, it's not loving another person for their own sake in regards to the bedroom um if it's just, I come here, we do our thing, five minutes later we're done, and we just head out, it's, that's that's sad to me. That's not, as you were mentioning, real meaningful connection. Uh, the sexual act should be something that is, that should connect the two people together. It should be able to deepen the intimacy in a greater measure. What are the? I know there's two chemicals that are released when you have sex. It's what is it? Serotonin or it, it's a bonding chemical of some sort. Mm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm. I I'm no. I'm no biologist or what have you. But yeah, I, I think as well. Um, this this has been mentioned so many times, and to add on a quote. Sexual desire without love lacks eros. When sexual desire is mixed with love, that is where you find proper eros. Think about a lot of the hookup culture. That's very common at this point. It's It has a lack of true intimacy. And I've heard people, you know, they're, they're sleeping with somebody as kind of a sex buddy. And they're like, well, I just, I started to catch feels for this person. Have you ever oh heard that? Oh my gosh, it's so toxic. I, 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 I hadn't really heard that term before until a few months back where I was like, oh, that, that's a thing? Okay. The wagon is miles ahead of the horse. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I've, I was like, oh, catch feels. And then I actually, I was at this party and somebody was like, well, I started to catch feels. And everyone else was like, ooh. I was like isn't that the point of sex that in the, in my mind, I didn't say that out loud, but I was like, in my mind, isn't that the point of sex to greater connect with somebody in that manner? Yeah. I guess it's like the thing when it's, it comes from a place that's not articulated mm-hmm. like, Oh, we just started fooling around and ended up at, I'm not going to finish that sentence. It's too boring. <laughs> but, um, I, I think if you're articulate and you go to someone and you're directly like, Oh, I like you. I'm interested in you in this way. Mm-hmm. And, and just being very clear about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. If you just, if you say to someone, I don't know, you approach someone and you're like, Hey, I would like to get to know you better. Yeah. Like you should say that and mean that you literally would like to get to know them better. Like mm-hmm. that's, you're approaching them and stating your motivation and then following through on that. It, and I, it just seems like people should probably communicate generally um, before they make decisions that are like soul bonding or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, the, the whole idea of just fool around and that's like, oh wait, I figured out what these biological instincts do. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it just seems more. Um, hmm more like fully integrated to to go into a decision with strength rather than weakness 
-hmm. Like you go into the situation, you have all these emotional ties and it's like, it's going to it out of weakness. Like there's not actually like a decision point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think it's too often, at least probably a lot of people in the culture, they're, they're, um, very visually stimulated because of a lot of visual stimulation. They want to, um, get that, I guess, touch stimulation. I don't know what words to use for the matter, but it's, I would say, I think people confuse having a relationship and thinking, well, we're in a relationship now. Now we have to have sex right away instead of, well, let's get to know each other. Even if it, let's say even in a secular sense, a non-Christian sense, I think a smart idea would be wait four or five months before you would even consider getting into bed with somebody. Yeah. Like laying a foundation of affection and laying a foundation of a friendship and then laying a foundation of arrows, like having these properly layered mm -hmm. it. Like if it, it just seems like there have been, experiences um of me just talking to people where like eros was just like what they started with and then mm -hmm. it's like this this relationship's actually kind of hollow it's like playing um just the melody on a piano not having any like bass chords to finish it off it's like yeah. it's like this is kind of like a cheap facade of of a really holistic relationship that increases human connection mm-hmm yeah, I think, well, because I'm recalling from somebody who I've known, not who I have just known as a friend of a friend, they would, this person would want to immediately get physical with other people. And I'm thinking, well, that's not the best way of going about it. Because after a while, they discovered this person wasn't the best person. They were a complete total mm. creep kind of person they were uh just horrible in many ways very violent and it's like you're confusing the idea of sex with a relationship because although sex and a relationship do go together unfortunately people make those things exclusive or not exclusive but they make the they twist them together in such a way to where things go way too fast instead of prolonging that gratification, if that makes sense. Yeah, there's definitely like the move very fast and burnout thing. Like, mm -hmm. um, uh, I think a good way. I, of, I think oh, hmm. I'll let you go ahead. But it, it seems like there's. This is just my own taxonomy, my own way of, of categorizing phenomenon. So mm -hmm. I'm way off Lewis here. But one like really, um, hmm, one toxic mentality is, is like bringing a savior complex to a new relationship. Like, oh, this person will, will be my savior. And, and then it's kind of going from heartbreak to heartbreak. And love is just you know, young adulting is just the wild west of love and you have to break a lot of hearts to make an omelet, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there could be this like savior complex of like, like going from person to person, just putting so much um, emphasis, like putting so much weight on that platform and then it just breaks. Uh, and, and then there's also like a milder thing, like, yeah, maybe a new relationship I'm not going to value this new person as like a savior, but maybe they could be part of the healing process mm -hmm. for, for the ways I've been damaged by past relationships. And I, I, th I think that's healthy. Um, but, but yeah, at the end of the day, it, it is a proper ordering of love and you know, you do, you do wake up and say your prayers to those people that you made voluntary commitments to and, Mm -hmm. that that's kind of the reality um but but if someone's part of the healing process so be it that's that's beautiful and awesome yeah that is good um 
you know, to add on to that, it's good to, if somebody does help you with that, it's good. Just make sure it's not the person who will be your end all be all in terms of all healing. Because the question mm-hmm. is, what if they're, what if you're having a bad day with them? And it's like, well, I thought you were this and this As a matter of fact, you, you're this absolutely horrible person, but you're just having a bad day. It's good just to have somebody who's, who will help, but is not that end all be all. I think another good question would be how many people confuse love for sex or sexual love, however it is. It's kind of hard to tell. I, I don't really like just putting numbers on individuals because I know just these categories don't really work. If you categorize people by a, a way of thinking and then you talk to an individual and People are a lot more three D than the two dimensional labels. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think like just generally though, there's there's kind of this weird thing in Christendom where in church it's like oh you better blah 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 like mm-hmm. just very just very like judgmental, and then Hollywood it's just like a free for all. Yeah, <laughs> um, as far as what you see on TV. And there's really no one really in the middle of that, it mm-hmm. seems like. Yeah, I, I think in regards to the church ethic, I, I think it's good to delay somebody, but I think at the same time, somebody shouldn't be shamed if they do go out and give in to that temptation. Let's say once, it's like, oh, I, I messed up. I shouldn't. I'm not going to do that. But... I think I think your psychology would change if you made that choice. Psychology change? Like the way you think. Uh, explain. Not not quite sure what you mean. I uh, I'm just. And we can still keep this on topic with this. I'll, I'll I, I guess like if, if you cross certain intimacy boundaries, your your brain will actually rewire itself. It's like oh, I'm on mm-hmm. step three of biology like born grow up Mm -hmm. i don't know start reproducing i don't know but like like whatever levels um this is more of i guess a hypothesis than really a boom i've read neuroscience type deal but i i really wouldn't be surprised if the brain rewired itself um I, i know there's some thinkers that view view it as like a rise in conscientiousness mm-hmm. like Jordan Peterson so I I don't know if the like it's difficult to estimate if the they did it once and then their church is like <laughs> okay you did it <laughs> once welcome back um, mm-hmm. yeah that, that's a hard one to to, to really know if it's even how nature works. Yeah. I honestly can't comment on that. I'm no, I'm no scientist, so I can't say much about it. But I'm just, um, I guess my next question is how often do people think either commitment or having, what is it? Or having feels quote unquote, will hinder sex so the idea is if we get married will this hinder our sexual relationship and this is people who have already been engaged in um, a sexual relationship before they're married and i'm wondering my the reason why i ask that that question is because um, i'm wondering how many people prolong commitment because they still want to just have fun or they view marriage as kind of this tie down, but my question is if you view it as a tie down, why are you, and this is with some assumptions as well on my part, if you view it as a tie down, why are you already living with one another, paying bills with one another? I'm sure you have a pet with one another. You're practically married at that point. You just don't have the paperwork. And some people say, well, you just don't need the paperwork. That's true. But what do you, 
don't you need money, which is a form of paper to pay bills? Mm. It's, yeah, this is one of those issues that's inherently really complicated. I, I think in the, in the Jewish context, um, I guess Hebrew, well, I think they became Jewish after they returned from the Babylonian exile before they're Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my understanding, and, and please, please mm-hmm. fix my version of Judaism. That's probably pretty random. You probably you probably know about as much as I do. I I thought there was this thing where, and they had like prearranged marriages ish, ish. I'm not I'm not too familiar with the ancient world. I I think how it worked is the man would go to the, like the the father that had a daughter, and it was like <laughs> I would like to marry your daughter. And he would say, okay, work for me for a couple of years and then, and then build like a house on my land. So he like builds a house and it's like, okay, you've like mono on mono. Mm-hmm. You've like proven you're like man enough and that you're really serious. It wasn't like a random capricious like flipping, I want to marry this person. It's mm-hmm. like, no, you built the house. Now get married, like, <laughs> um, and go into it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very hard to to correlate that to modern context of what it looks like building a house. Or it's kind of weird. It was all tied into this um, coming of age thing, and it it was like a lot younger. It was. A lot younger than our culture. Probably. Well, probably because our, our Western culture doesn't have a rite of passage. Probably. That's my guess. What's a rite of passage? Rite of passage. Think of, uh, let's say, a bunch of 15-year-old teenagers in some sort of tribe in some sort of far-off country. It's like, okay, you all have to go out and kill a lion. They all go out and kill a lion, bring it back. It's like, okay, you are not all now officially men of the tribe. And you can... <laughs> Now go out and hunt. I don't know. Mm. Something like that. Or uh, they take... I, uh, I'm vaguely remembering something. They would take the, a child away from the mother and subject the child to certain rites and rituals before they would do something. That, I'm vaguely remembering Yeah, I something. think the Spartans, the mother would have to like, detach from the son and they would like go do war shenanigans. Well, I guess not shenanigans. They're actually fighting, but... <laughs> Like they were like sent to the military complex at some point to be divided from the mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I can't comment too much on that. I'm no historian. I'm just a guy who likes to read a bit. Uh, it's, yeah, I think going back. I think going back to the topic of commitment. How many people are willing to commit with the person that they're already sleeping with? Um, hmm. I say that just in a general sense, nothing specific. I don't have any facts or data or anything like that. I I don't know it. I'm not sure how much to. Like it's complicated nowadays. Like contraceptives, sure that that changes things. Mm-hmm. Uh, just this whole prolonged childhood of going to college, where from the age of say 18 to let's just, let's just say 16 to 24 actually that you hit sexual maturity like you're able to start making new humans mm-hmm. there's like just this huge gap and then okay here have contraceptives go be confused <laughs> like I, I guess it's not a very great cultural system we have in place mm-hmm. um, whereas in the Jewish context, if you are a woman um, in that ancient society and you're not a, a virgin, you like you like less valued or something, or you're like kind of shunned. Um, I'd have like, to I'd have to look into that, but it's still interesting. I, yeah, I guess it, I guess the systems in the Jewish context, like actually like protected the women like they're they're pretty mm-hmm. progressive um for its time 
Yeah. It, I, I guess it's, hmm, how do I word this? Marriage is this thing, and then you start to have all these hooks into it. You have this hook of like, oh, it's a legal thing, and then it's a financial thing, and then it it's also gotten very um, baked into like legislation. Like for our modern culture, is that what you mean? I, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, like... I, I guess it's like is marriage a natural law? Like it's it's mm-hmm. natural for people to see connection come together than like form little committed tribe family things. Yeah. Or or is it this like legal political um financial identity? Yeah. Yeah. As a personal opinion I don't think I don't want to get too far into politics, but I don't think government should be involved in marriage in any sort of way. But I think it should be left up to the individual, either the individual religious institution or the people who desire for that sort of thing. But that would depend upon the person. But that's a whole other issue that I am not, I don't feel like I'm very authoritative to speak on that matter. Oh, yeah, and there's there's also the I need to have a perfect Instagram <laughs> wedding or Twitter wedding. Yeah. Like, there's also this like super high bar on on extravagance because there's not I, I guess it's not like there's a cultural path of hey, here's the rituals we do, they're the same for everyone and then boom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't know. I think a, my guess is all. This is just observation. I think a lot has been lost in regards to how we view love, but love in regards to passion. From what I see, it seems to be disconnected, and it's just passion without love. As far as the commitment question you asked. I I think there's two different ways to view that. One is, imagine it's like, I don't know, one partner asking another, like, hey, you're committed to me, right? Are you going to be there Mm -hmm. at my um, deathbed or you'll be there at my deathbed or vice versa or whatever? That's like one kind of extreme way to view it. It's like, hey, at the end, are we together? Mm-hmm. And then the other, I guess, more immediate thing is, hey, do we have the tools and the procedures and the the ways to resolve conflict when they arise and to communicate effectively and to make things work? Because mm-hmm. like those questions aren't unrelated to just say, here's the here's the end goal, like wanting you at my bedside when we die or or being together forever. But then there's also the procedure of getting there. Like, no, you have to have methods of communicating and actually making the relationship self-correcting and knowing when to get feedback and knowing when to shut your mouth. And Mm -hmm. so I, I think that also might be part of the issue. It, it projects a lot into the future and then mm-hmm. it sometimes it fails to account for the immediate procedures and habits that are necessary to get there. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, actually, I don't know what to think. I guess my question is, when does, when do some people try to use sexual desire as a form of not not mismanagement as a form of um control not it it it, it's the word that i'm looking for that goes with control it's um starts with an m i think manipulation yes thank you yeah so i'm wondering how often do some people use sex as a form of manipulation 
I, I can't give you a percentage. I know manipulation is like a universal reality that could occur. And then it's, it's case by case whether that universal reality exists within the particular situation. Uh, yeah, I think part of this just gets to the like BuzzFeed, like what are red flags <laughs> uh, type thing. Um, yeah, manipulation, it's, I guess it's like the scorekeeping, like, hey, you want this, well, do this for me. And it, it really keeps score, and then it also kind of has these expectations on the other person, like, mm -hmm. you should operate within these bounds, and maybe I'll even shrink those bounds a little bit if I get too annoyed by you not doing dishes or, or whatever. Yeah. It, it becomes kind of conditional. Um, and, and sometimes manipulation stems from insecurity. It's like wanting to, to control someone. Mm -hmm. Um, I can say for myself personally, uh, sex is not a way somebody can manipulate me. I know there's that whole stereotype of, Oh, if you, if you don't do this for me, then no sex for you. I'm going to be like, well, I guess we're just not going to have sex for a while. Yeah, that's that's toxic. That's that's a sexual hostage situation. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> See, I it's like me as a guy. I, I do enjoy sex, but at the same time, mm -hmm. if you're going to try to hang that over my head, I'm like, well, I've got other things I can do. Obviously, pornography is not one of those things. I think pornography is... Uh, increase sexual toxicity within the culture, both for men and women. But, you know, it's like, well, we're not going to have sex. I'm just going to go to the gym then. Forget you. Yeah, I think... I think that would be, like, toxic femininity to... Probably. Like... Little eight-year-olds, they like to wrestle. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. It's important to them. And older guys after puberty they want to have sex it's important to them i don't know why um <laughs> sounds like a freudian theory you're coming up with right now <laughs> no oh please no please don't <laughs> i i'm just saying that there's some things that just happen and they're biological and they're just kind of a mystery um but there's love this level of reverence of Oh, it's just important for this person's nature. Whether a guy understands girl, girl understands guy, mm -hmm. what? Who knows? But yeah, here's a fun question for somebody out there who might be able to answer it. I'm wondering if there's been a guy who's used sex as a means to hold a woman hostage in that manner. Like, oh, babe, since you didn't do this for me, we're not going to have sex. I don't know. Um. Uh, you don't have to answer it because I don't have a clear answer. It's just a, a question that I figured somebody out there might know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it exists. Uh, yeah, I'll say that much. Yeah. Um, so, so, okay, there's this other claim in C.S. Lewis's book that Eros obliterates the line between giving and receiving, that this perfect you know, desire for connection and, and passion that's correctly integrated with the individual. Um, it kind of blurs the line between two human souls of giving and receiving. And mm -hmm. it, it's kind of just this free flow economy between two humans with no barrier. Mm -hmm. yeah, I Going back to that thing that I mentioned earlier, sex should be about mutual pleasure for one another it shouldn't be just all the guy getting the pleasure or all the woman getting the pleasure it should be something that you're both willing to give to one another because for myself this is somewhat personal but it's still nothing not off not taboo for me my last relationship unfortunately it never seemed like my ex was able to come to that conclusion about oh i'm 
I want to give him fulfillment and he can give me fulfillment. No, it's sometimes I think she saw it as, well, I'm just going to do this just so I can get it done. And I don't think that's a healthy way of doing it. Like I mentioned, she had other personal issues with her. And I will say this, a very, very selfish person. Actually, that's a good topic for that. Um, if you're a selfish person who can't, who doesn't know how to give and take in that manner, sex is going to be a very difficult thing for you. Mm. And if you're, let's say you're a selfish guy who just likes to receive pleasure, sure, you might feel good, but you're not going to get that real intimacy. And a woman who is probably selfish in that manner as well probably won't receive that proper sexual gratification in that manner. At least that's what I've noticed with my own personal life. For me, sex is very much about the giving of each other for mutual beneficial um, pleasure. Yeah, I, I agree that that would be the version of it that leads to wholeness and like an integrated person. Mm-hmm. Uh and yeah, it does contrast what C.S. Lewis's quote is that perfect eros is perfect, perfect passion, connection, um, version of love. Giving and receiving is not really a, a thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you go into a sexual encounter expecting to take or expecting to receive, um, then you, you already see the breakdown mm-hmm. of his quote. Yeah, take actually would be a better word to use instead of receive. The way you said it, um, take just sounds like, well, this is just mine. While when you say, well, I'd like to receive this, it sounds more like you're receiving a good gift from somebody. But I think um, I get what you're saying, though, regardless. Yeah, just just the breakdown of his idea into what you're describing, which. Yes, it's not like a full like the fullness of a proper mm-hmm. eros. Yeah. And I think as well, a good question for some people might be, this would be if anybody listens to this, uh, if, if you're being selfish with your sexuality towards your spouse, how can you be less selfish towards them in that regards? Or if you're somebody who's just like, oh, I just want to get this done and over with, why is that? Why do you want to just get it done and over with? Is there a lack of, I guess, foreplay or what have you? I, I will say this. For me, there is no lack of foreplay. I greatly enjoy a lot of the other things that come with the bedroom. Not just penetration, but a lot of the other things. I, hmm. Okay, you... I'll I'll just go there. Yeah, um, go ahead. Like I said, for me, this is not a this yeah, is not a taboo subject for me. This if foreplay is a, um, let's say it's connected to the play instinct, mm-hmm. uh, it, it serves a different function than typical play, but it is a version of play. Then, I, I think it has to inherently relate to to personalities uh, that. How do I wear this? The the person who's like a musician or an artist or is able to extend their personality to certain mediums mm-hmm. uh, uh, in a relationship you'd be able to see um, I, I guess their personality through it mm-hmm. rather than just just pleasure like there's how do I word this ah okay this is a tangent I was in my lobby earlier. Go for it. <laughs> I was in my lobby earlier and I'm like whistling hymns and like getting mail or something. And this basically granny, she she like kind of, I'm passing her with my mail and she says, oh, my bird really likes her whistling. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, what? And she, she literally has like a cage with a bird, I guess. Oh, that's funny. I guess she like took it for a walk or something. 
and I'm whistling and I just see this bird like head bobbing and then I stop <laughs> and then it stops and then I start like a clapping thing and it starts dancing too. And I was just thinking about the animal kingdom that there's birds that dance um, to attract a mate and you know, they show off colorful feathers or, mm -hmm. or, or do all sorts of ridiculous things. And, and there is some amount of, of personality baked into that. Um, it was weird that I was clapping and the bird was like getting this rhythm and that's probably the closest thing it had to, to fulfilling its nature. Yeah. <laughs> um, like it, yeah, so I, I guess there's like dance and music and ritual and dance and music is deeply connected to um, personality um, and it's deeply connected to sex mm -hmm. and it's deeply connected to the desire for connection, which is using raw bell um, is like the healthy goal of it. Mm -hmm. That is a good point. So to strip to strip any form of play out of out of it would is definitely missing that mm -hmm. deeply biological associations. Yeah. And I suppose relating kind of relating it as well. I know I've, uh, I've got real quote unquote relationship trauma, even though it's, I don't consider it trauma. Although considering what happened, oh, well, that that's neither here nor there. Um, I, I, th I have this theory right now of do selfish people not know how to have good sex while people who are selfless, although it can depend on the person, I suppose, <laughs> I suppose a good way of putting it is, um, people with a, with a personality with more depth, are they better at sex versus somebody who is about as shallow as a glass of water? Does that make sense? Or my, my intuition would say yes. I feel like there's a but there. I, yeah, like, like I haven't been like a, a therapist for like 20 years or something. So I can't say I've lifted up this object into the light and looked at it at all sides. Yeah. Um, so, so I don't know if I have a wide enough base to really make that claim, but my, my intuition says yes, that if it's um, saturated with like compassion and care for the other person and personality and life and like this life force, it would be better and more meaningful and more mm -hmm. fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. I think w at least for instinct wise, we don't have the facts and figures in front of us, but I think a good way as well is Eros is not just about satisfying your own desires, but the desires of the person you are with. And that, I think that's a good way of describing what we've been talking about. I'm going to make another cross reference to Rob Bell. No, you're fine. He has this chapter called, animals and angels mm. and it's trying to place the role of sexuality within the human experience and you, you could see people that are like oh we're just like animals animals have sex blah blah, blah. um but like this is so boring to talk about because it's really saying nothing new but but there are people that just reduce it to the animal kingdom mm -hmm. and then there's also he calls like this other air of of being trying to be like way too angelic to the point that you deny like the reality of having a body. Uh, he, he, he uses an example of, of someone, I guess he's like giving counseling to who had a family that never like did hugs or high fives or anything mm -hmm. physical. And they're kind of just, um, deeply affected by that in their unconscious that they have to be like really pure and it, it led to this like detachment in the person like to to be an angel is to not know what it's like to have a body to be embodied 
it's, it's just a floating spirit without embodiment but to say you're just like animals would be to to deny the reality of having the knowledge of good and evil and understanding the higher forms hmm. so so yeah rob bell likes to place us between those two hmm. okay that's that's interesting to me i haven't read the book but sounds interesting yeah it, it's an idea i'll say that um mm -hmm. Everyone's an adult. They can make up their own mind about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, here's, a, here's a quote from page 127. I wrote it down. You were talking about play earlier, and this actually hits the nail on the head. Banish play and laughter from the bed of love, and you may, and you may let in a false goddess. Boom. C.S. Lewis yeah. agrees. <laughs> so, yeah. So, it's basically if you don't have a lot of foreplay, if you don't have a lot of fun in the bedroom in that manner, um, you let in a false pleasure. It's a good way of putting it. Now, mind you, I'm not one for BDSM. I think this is my own personal opinion. I'll let other people deal with their own bedroom stuff. But this is just my personal opinion. BDSM is not true love expressed it's almost like a twisting of pleasures but like i said that's just my personal opinion it's just not appealing to me it, it's just <clears throat> i'm not one for the handcuffs not for the whips not for the gag balls All i am right. not i am not one <laughs> like i said this is not taboo for me i am willing to talk about this i am willing to talk about this till uh, till the sun sets which the sun set a while ago see i'm willing to get very graphic and detailed without it's... it being awkward for me um as you can tell i am not prude <laughs> i'm only prude if i'm not married oh man I'd... oh yeah there's also yeah, C.S. Lewis, he's talking about why marriages um, run into trouble. Mm -hmm. And his claim is that it's very rarely related to sensuality. It's much more often related to, how do I say this word, avarice? Avarice? Yeah. He says that's more likely the issue in a marriage not working than sensuality. I'm, I'm looking it up right now to get a proper uh, definition, but continue. Yeah, the, the Corey definition, which Jordan's about to fact check in like a second. <laughs> uh, avarice being, um, yeah, differences in how you treat money, um, how much is enough. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the Webster is greed or. Yeah. Excessive or insatiable desire for wealth or gain. So it could be avarice could be a, an excessive desire for anything. So monetary, how big your house is. Mm -hmm. uh, it's yeah, I guess in a relationship, not having the when is enough, this is enough mm -hmm. conversation and maybe one partner just you know, pursuing their kind of own empire at at the peril of the other person. Yeah, either peril, peril, or just just not seeing at eye level with each other. Or... One person just chasing their perhaps career and just destroying their family life, or or a level of lack of self awareness. It's a good what is another good thing to put in to perspective. Yeah, and I, I guess it does kind of come to a lack of, I guess, self-awareness due to not having mutual priorities. Mm -hmm. It's like, whoa, 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 honey, I, I didn't think this is what we were about. Like, yeah. seriously, we're, we're buying this $150,000 car. Like, like this, is, this is over the top. Or buying buying a hundred and fifty dollar dress when you have ten already in the closet. 
that's a personal thing. <laughs> yeah. I actually don't ha- I actually don't mind talking about my personal issues. What? Kind of giving me that look like you give me that look like uh you no, it's, it's just one of those being careful about things you post on the internet, etc., oh, etc. For, et cetera, et cetera, for, for et me, for me, I, as long as I'm not giving out my home address, I'm fine with talking about <laughs> stuff about my personal life. Okay. Um, what else? Um, oh, here's an interesting. This is just an idea that C.S. Lewis brings up. He rambles a lot in this chapter. My goodness. Yeah, I I think he had a lot more. He seemed to be better in this chapter though than he did in friendship though, is what I I think he did better with this one with this chapter. That's true. Okay, he has this point that um, during sex, partners are playing the roles of things that are much older and less personal in themselves. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're like embodying this universal masculinity and femininity and as we know the masculine and the feminine are in dialogue until the end of time it, it it's really interesting too because we watch these disney movies where cinderella falls in love like oh it's great yeah and part of that just strums the right chords in our hearts like we know about this thing we know about people falling in love and making families and we don't even have to be part of it. We could just love the whole situation, love the whole process, love the mm-hmm. whole like occurrence and cycle of it, even if we're not in it. Um, so his his idea that man and women are embodying this this universal form of of the masculine and feminine in, in dialogue um, in their encounters is super interesting to me from a, a union perspective uh yeah i think here's a good quote from lewis as well page 142 the real danger seems to me that oh, excuse me let me start over the real danger seems to me not that the lovers will idolize each other but that they will idolize eros himself mm-hmm. so i'm I understand he's not meaning idolize in the sinful sense, but more of um, they won't love each other for their own sake, but rather they'll just love each other for some other shallow reason, I guess is a good way of putting it. Does that make sense? Um, Or they'll uh, idolize an ideal version of what the love should be, but as a matter of fact, that love is not met. Yeah, like like it is a created thing. When I was talking about uh, sex as a taking on the universals and like embodying them for a short time, uh, it is very interesting to to partake in this this great mystery of life of of reproduction. Like it's it's this great mystery shrouded in in ritual and dance and courting mm-hmm. and play and and all these things it's a mystery but it, it also is a created thing it's, it's a created mystery um so yeah when you when you try to put that created thing on the top of the pyramid it yeah will be a false god and devolve into a demon to use yeah c.s lewis's um heuristic that's a good way of putting it I think here's a good last point to end on for Lewis. Um, In regards to that quote that was just mentioned on page 146, uh, Eros is driven to promise what Eros of himself cannot perform. So it's basically love is driven to what love cannot attain. So basically, you're putting unrealistic expectations on a thing. Don't have your expectations so platonic that it's unreachable. Yeah, I think it's like the preferred analogy like for desire and connection, which eventually turns into desire and connection with 
with the Godhead and partaking in the divine nature, mm -hmm. just to throw some orthodoxy in there. <laughs> yeah, I, I think to just substitute the a, a preferred analogy for the thing itself, it's mm -hmm. it's not going to lead to wholeness. Yeah, I think that's a good good thing to end on there. Or unless do you have more to add? No, it's just it's just one of those mysteries of life and shrouded in all sorts of interesting things. Play, courting, dance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think if as long as you find a if you find a good woman, she'll treat you well. And if I find a good woman, she'll treat me well, considering how we both are. Oh, well. Anyway, I got nothing else. All right. See you, dude.